right. It's all you, man. Hey, hey. You can move about though. Oh, good. I thank God. No microphone. Don't, don't hear us this note. <laughs> good morning. Uh, thank y'all so much for uh, for having us this morning. We're we're blessed to be here. Uh, I really appreciate the way the the word is held in such high esteem because. You know, everybody's. You may think, well, everybody does that in every church. No, they do not. Uh, we're going all over the place right now. We preach, and you name the denomination, and we're probably in it. And uh, more than ever, I, I've seen there's a famine in the land, and it's the, of the Word of God. Nobody preaches it no more. And I'm gonna touch on that. I want to keep in theme with the. I understand you. Get, we're gonna take communion today. And I love communion because it's going, it has everything to do with the gospel. And, and that's what we do. Uh, that I, don't, I haven't gone on to something better. Uh, nowadays, you know, it, the gospel is considered Christianity 101. And once you get that down, we go on to bigger and better things. I did that for a little bit. And, and, and I found it lacking. And God really worked on me three or four years ago to get back in focus of that right there. And so instead of moving on, I've decided to stay where the cross is and dig deeper. And it has completely transformed my personal life, my, my ministry, my family. And, and this morning, I, I, you know, whether you're saved or not, I don't know. I, I, if there's somebody here that's not born again, um, please listen to this and and, and, and listen to what the Word of God has to say. But if everybody here is saved, it, the Gospel is still for you. It should color the way you look at everything. It should be your motivation. Motivation is in the Gospel. And I want to go, uh, go into that a little bit this morning. And like Pastor Marshall said, we're down in Mexico. I just want to take a few minutes to, to tell you kind of what we do. Um, been down there for about 12 years in central Mexico preaching to Aztec Indians. And what drew me down there was uh, it was a couple of trips I made. And uh, right after I got saved in 1997 uh, at the University of Alabama, did go there. I did graduate. God is a God of miracles. <laughs> I remember going into the counselor and, and 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 throwing my transcript down and say, just, just point me the quickest way out, man, because I'd done changed majors two or three times. And he looked at it and he was just like, I mean, he was in awe. He's like, you should be a doctor by now. <laughs> but he pointed me the way out. I got a, I got a degree in something that I. I, I don't know what you could do with it, but I did get a degree. Played baseball there. That's mainly what I majored in. And uh, met my wife after I got saved. Graduated, met my wife, and we fell in love. She graduated in, in engineering. She outdid me a little bit. <laughs> but uh, uh, we ended up getting called to Mexico, and we've been down there most of our married life. I think we've been three months we were up here married, and then we went to Mexico. So it really tested Tested our, our our marriage, but it really at the same time it really didn't. I still uh, we've been married for twelve years, and I don't get you know I hear people marriage is it's hard it, it's a fight. I don't get that yet. It hadn't been so maybe it, maybe it's coming. I don't know, but I hope not. But we've had a good time. We've had a good marriage, and I, I appreciate y'all. How long have y'all been married? Sir. How long have you been married? We've been married uh, six years. Six years. Yeah. 
That's the second time for me. Okay. And the second time for her. Okay. Uh, but, but I've been married all my life. Yes, sir. <laughs> I've been married a total of 60 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, that, that's like he was saying a while ago. Man, the the statistics nowadays, whether it has to do with marriage or, or anything about uh, Christians, you got to be really careful. He, he was he pointed out that, that they're really warped and they're not accurate because you know it's pro- professing Christians. It's done with professing Christians. The Bible says profession is not worth a whole lot. There's many that's going to say, "Lord, Lord." And they're going to be cast into hell. So, uh, all these statistics, you know, the, the the church is as bad as the world. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that the the marriage is just as bad in the church as it is in the world. I don't believe that. I believe we're calling things the church that ain't the church. And and when you you get around a true born again Christian, that's a different ball game. The problem is not everybody that goes to church is going to heaven. Because you have your goats, you have your sheep, and we'll get into that here in a minute. But I wanted to, uh, we've been in Mexico 12 years, it's been great. We've gotten to go into several different regions and areas with no gospel whatsoever and, and been honored enough to, to sit down with people and, and have to, to go from Genesis to Revelation telling them what the gospel is. Some having a form of religion, some not knowing anything. And being able to uh, to preach the gospel to them, and, it, and it's been an incredible experience. Uh, we plan on staying until Jesus tells us to come back. So I, I don't know how long. If that's all our life, that's all our life. But it's been really good. The work's changed a little bit over the past couple of years. Uh, increase in violence down there. We've had to change it up. Instead of living there and living in our house, we've had to start doing trips from South Texas the past year. But the good news is we got a new president. Uh, it's not going to solve the drug problem, but it is going to cause it to calm down. And uh, it looks like we're going to get to move back down there sometime in January and get back into our house in February and start running what's a normal schedule to us, which is about 30, 40 services a month in a, a, an area where we concentrate on along with side, uh, another missionary. The work's really big. It's close to... Close to a thousand uh, churches nationwide. We work in the central part, which is the primary part of the work. But the, there's also a, a work down in South Mexico, uh, work there along the northern border. But the primary biggest work is right there in central Mexico, covers about five states. So uh, we're blessed. We're doing good. We thank y'all for your prayers. We thank y'all for y'all support. We really, really do. Um, it is needed. Those people, uh, there's estimated 10 million Indians with no gospel. And that's partly because of where they live in remote areas. They were pushed up in the mountains years and years ago when the Spanish came over to take over the country. Uh, those guys' ancestors ran up in the mountains hiding. And, and what happened is they got up there and they were hiding and they decided just to live there. So now you got them all spread out, all up in these mountains, hard, hard to get to places. Uh, they're almost hidden, but uh, I can't count how many times we've we've broken the valleys where there's just villages with no gospel, and that's what we do. I mean, it, and people ask me, what kind of missions work do you do? Well, we preach the gospel to people, and I realize there's different areas and different ways of doing things, but that's what we we've decided. Because I'm not that good of a person, 
Anybody who really, really knows me understands who I am. I'm not going to go and risk my life to give somebody clothes. And I'm not downplaying that at all. That's important, and some people are called to do that. I'm not risking my life to give them medical attention. I'm just not that good of a person. But to go into a place and to be able to tell them that there is forgiveness of sins, that there is hope that they don't have to go to hell, hey, let's do that. I'll spend my life for that. I can, I can, that makes sense to me, and, and, and I, I'm going to carry my family down there, and I'm going to carry my kids with me. Uh, Joshua there, my, one of my sons, he got to go with me a year and a half ago into a brand new area. We got to preach the gospel to this guy, and uh, we got out. And never got a chance to go back. The violence escalated. We had to leave the country for a little while. We just got word a few months ago that another missionary, because we're part of an organization, about 18 different missionaries, 18 different families, and we cover each other's services. And, and, it, and one of the missionaries had gotten back up there to where we had went and uh, spoke with that family. It's been like, I don't know, months since anybody's been up there, nobody knew what happened after we had visited. We had found out that that family prayed to get saved. Nobody was there. No pastor, no missionary. But they decided to get born again. And then, they got so encouraged, they walked down to a village down below them and preached the gospel there. You know, We left some uh, New Testaments and they started reading those. And they started preaching the gospel out of the New Testament to them. And, 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 and started a work right below their, their village, and from there went to another place. Three new works. And he got to be a part of it. And I made it a big deal. We made the date and took them. And, and, and that's what I, I, I take my family in these situations. The motivation is the gospel. When people uh, approach us and say, You must have such a burden for the Indians, you, it's got to be about, it's not about the Indians uh, per se. My motivation is not for, you know, I have relationships with those guys, and now I have a love for them after several years of working for them, but the primary motivation is the gospel, the glory of God, so that God will be glorified. It is the gospel. And uh, this morning, if you would, go to Ephesians 2. I want to basically preach the gospel, the gospel of power, not... Per se, what's being preached in a majority of churches where the supernatural has been almost completely taken out of salvation. Uh, we have miracles where we're at in, in several of our different in, in several different areas. If it wasn't for a miracle, there would be no work started. Uh, not too long ago, a, a kid with leukemia, diagnosed with leukemia, 17 years old. Sentenced to die, the doctor said there is no hopes. Too far advanced. Some of our brothers went to pray for him, and just a couple of days later, he started getting stronger. They rechecked him; it was gone, completely gone. The cancer was gone. He was an idolater. God healed him. He goes back to his village. He takes all his idols out of his his little hut there and throws them in front of the door and burns them in front of everybody. And now there's a work there. And I could tell you just many, 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 many stories of, of God, God doing these miracles. And, and, and you do hear a lot about miracles, but miracles are not done for the sake of miracles. Right. I believe, I think it's in Mark 2, where those guys were, were lowering the, uh, the paralytic through the roof, 
And Jesus is there. Your sins are forgiven. Pharisees get mad because who can do that but God alone? They didn't know it was God. And, and He said, well, what's, what's easier for y'all? To tell this guy to get up and walk or me to say that his sins are forgiven? And this is the key. But, that, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Get up and walk. That's why I believe He does miracles. That's why I believe there's supernatural things that do happen. That's right. It's, it's to, sh- to give people something tangible that they can see, that they can touch, that they can feel, and know that this same God that does these things is the same God that has the power to forgive sins. Because the problem this morning is, if you're not perfect, you're not getting in. You know, bear with me. But think about it. If He is a perfect holy, just God. How can He let somebody into heaven that is anything less? It would be unjust. It would be wrong. He can't simply sweep sins under a rug. It's the divine dilemma. He either... He's got almost a dilemma that we're born into sin, a bad nature, a bad, bad heart, a bad record, and if He's just and holy, He has to send everybody to hell. But if He sends everybody to hell, that ain't good either. So it's kind of a dilemma, so here we have the Gospel. And this is, I love this. So if I get excited, I'm sorry. But this is, I'm going to preach the same way I preach to, to Indians, to... I preach the same message wherever I go. It, it kind of it, it translates anywhere you go. It does not change. The gospel does not change. It is the power of God unto salvation this morning. So, so instead of us being so quick, you know, yes, God does miracles. It's supernatural, supernatural. But when, when we talk about salvation, all of a sudden that's not supernatural. When the Bible clearly teaches that it is a recreative, supernatural miracle of God. And that's on every level. Justification and regeneration. That's the two I'm going to talk about this morning. Just going to break it down. And it goes even deeper than that. But we're going to stay on justification and regeneration. These are two huge teachings that have all been, almost been lost. We've kicked out regeneration and replaced it with some ritual. And that's a sad thing, you know, just repeat this. Do this, and you got it. And there's no transformation in their life. And as Pastor was saying, he touched a little bit on on years ago. Man, I could sit up here and tell you my testimony. The reason why I know I'm forgiven this morning, I woke up in the morning, I don't worry about my salvation. Because my salvation is not based on me. Thank God. <laughs> My salvation is based on the finished work of Jesus. When I look at the cross and I see what He paid for me, I can stand. I can stand, and it motivates me to, to, to live holy, to read the Bible, to pray, to preach, to do all that. It comes from that right there. Ephesians 2. We're going to start right there. Ephesians 2, verse 1. says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, 
of the Spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's where we got to start. If we're going to truly appreciate what God has done, and I always, you know... Theology is important, and in some circles it's even a bad word. But true theology is when you get into the Word and you study in such a way that it it almost gives you a different angle or a different glimpse of God. And lots of times it'll put you on your face. That's the uh, to know God. And, And we're going to look at that. And in order to look at that the right way, you've got to do it in a backdrop of where we came from. You're not saved. Some people are not saved a lot and others a little. We're all in the same boat. When you're born, you're born a child of wrath. That is a serious statement. Think about the relationship there. How close are we to sin? Close enough to where we're called a child of wrath. A child of wrath. A bad nature caused by you know Adam and Eve, the fall that has been imputed to us. We have a bad record. We are born sinners. We're born inclined to sin. We want to. Got a little boy right there. His name's Andrew. Living example. He wants to do wrong. When he gets to where he can talk, guess what's going to come out of his mouth? Lies. Did I teach him that? In no way. There it is. So, you know, and that's a problem with parenting nowadays, but I ain't going to go into that. I, I see my kid different than other people. He's not an angel to me. He's a child of wrath. <laughs> and I'm going to raise him from that direction because I, I, I know what's there. I know what was in me. You, this is the way it is. But we're born children of wrath, inclined to sin. Bad record, bad nature. So... We need not just a religion, not just some modern day behavior modification, because that's what it is. Superstitious prayer, behavior modification, a little bit of moralism, you're good to go. Well, the problem is, the wrath of God is still on you. It's about forgiveness of sins. It's not about straightening up our, our, our... our life, our temporary life here on this planet. There's books written. You go to the bookstores nowadays, your top ten bestsellers are all about trying to fix up a life that we have here on earth. Using God, using principles of the Bible to lose weight with Jesus, to balance your checkbook, to, to, to have a little bit better life here on earth. Nothing about redemption. Nothing about the forgiveness of sins. That's the core of the Gospel. So you have people... Looking at it from a self-improvement. Taking the gospel to self-improve. Is there self-improvement in the gospel? Absolutely. Not saying there's not. But I'm saying we've taken out the cord. We've taken out the power. The power of God unto salvation. How in the world can God take a child of wrath and make him into a son of God? And still remain just and holy. Not corrupt. You know, judges that take bribes, you got a guilty party. They're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty. There's there's people that seen it. How, How could he, if he looked at that person 
And we'll just say he's a murderer. And he says, because I'm a, a, loving, God, a loving judge, I forgive you. What would people say? Corrupt. Our God's not corrupt. Our God is just. How in the world can God take a child of wrath and turn him into a son of God? It is the power of God unto salvation. Let's look at justification. It says right here in verse 4, two words, but God. And we're back in Ephesians. Being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. There is so much in those, those few verses. But God, He has intervened. He has intervened. He has made a way where there was no way. And it said He has made us alive. We're born in spiritual stillborns. Really, really. We're, we're born spiritually dead. And we need a miracle of God to be made alive. I want to go to uh, Romans. I think it's in Romans. 3. We're going to get into justification just a little bit. But I'm not going to leave it there because I think nowadays you hear a lot about that. How you can be justified. And that is such an incredible, incredible teaching. But if you leave it right there, then you have people making claims to it that ought not to be making claims to it. If you are justified before God, which means you've basically been declared, you're declared innocent and treated that way by God Himself. The evidence of that is regeneration. And that's where, that's where lots of people don't have that. And when I, talk, when, when I speak on regeneration, I'm talking about a change of will, a change of desires. You can no longer live the way you used to live. Why? Because you just don't want to. It's that simple. You know, we're quick to say, well, you God don't make me do nothing. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're quick to say the devil made me do it. We're quick to say we're a slave to sin, but God don't have the power. I need a salvation that is powerful enough to change me in such a way that I no longer want to go back. You see, do you see? I think it's in Ezekiel 36. It talks about him removing the heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh and putting his spirit in you and causing you to walk in his ways. New Testament reference, first, I think it's 1 John 3. 1 John 3 talks about being born of God and it says simply, you can no longer walk the same way you did. How? Because the Spirit of God is in you. You have been justified, declared innocent, and this is interesting, down in Mexico, I'm not for sure how it works here. But if you, we, we go up into some of the jails, so I've gotten to ask, you know, how does this work? How do you get out of here? And you either got to serve your sentence, or somebody can come and pay a certain amount of money and you can leave. But when they go, go to the front, say, and I've talked to a couple of guys that, that maybe stole something, and they're in there for, they either got to 
stay there for six years or somebody can come and pay this amount. And they've come to pay the amount and they go up to the front to do the paperwork to release them. Their lawyers are there. And they actually sign a piece of paper that says they're innocent. Now, did they sin? Absolutely. But the, the debt's been paid. It's the same way with, with Jesus. Here in Rome, Romans 3, 21. We'll start right there. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. What a word. You could preach a sermon series on propitiation. Simply me, it's something that was paid to appease wrath. The only thing that can pay for your sins and my sins. You know, one sin's bad enough, but how many hundreds of thousands of sins have we committed? One sin's enough to send you to hell, but since birth we've been inclined to sin and go on sinning and sinning, and the record, the debt is so big. But all it took, I say all, was the Son of God living a perfect life that you couldn't live, I couldn't live, He lived it, went to the cross, and because of His value, who He is, this is the reason why it's important, Jesus is God. If He's not God, it's not enough. The check's not going to clear. It's not going to. And when people, I hear different religions, you know, we have them come up to us all the time and a Jehovah Witness is, is a perfect example. They'll come to my door and, and I'll stop them right there and say, Is Jesus God? Right there. We're gonna start, forget that this is hell. Forget that you don't even believe in hell. Forget all this other stuff. Is Jesus God? And it will not answer me because they don't believe He is. And if Jesus is not God, then I don't have forgiveness. We're all in trouble. Because only God can satisfy a debt with God. And when He went to the cross... His value was enough. He suffered the wrath of God for us in our place so that a door might be opened for us of salvation. This is incredible. The check is cleared. It is enough to forgive you. Not of, this, is, this is so awesome. Not of just past sins. Present sins. All sin. All sin. All sin. Do y'all get that? All sin. It is enough. How do we know? Three days later, He gets up. Romans 1 says it. It it declares... Let me see if I can find it real quick. I love the way it puts it. Who was declared the Son of God with the power by the resurrection from the dead. When He got up, it declared, this is the Son of God. The check is cleared. There's forgiveness of sins for those who repent and believe in the Gospel. You can be forgiven. Now I'm going to tell you, this should motivate you. A goat's going to take this and explore every loophole to stay in sin. Now I say goat, I'm talking about an unregenerated 
person. <laughs> a sheep. You tell, man, if you're truly born again and you know you're forgiven, that gives you such a firmness, a, such a stability to be able to battle from. I fight from that position right there. I don't fight from the position of, of, of most modern day Christians that really does believe it's by your works. If you want to go down that road, go ahead. I'm not going with you. Because I'm going to tell you right now, my works ain't good enough. I've been on the mission field for 12 years. I've gotten a preach almost every single day. It's not good enough. If you want to be justified, declared innocent and treated that way, He treats you, if you're truly born again, He treats you like Jesus. Amen? It's incredible. Not based on me or what I've done, but based on the finished work of Jesus. What does it say right here? Verse 25. I think I read it. I'm going to read it again. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith, this was to demonstrate His righteousness. This was to demonstrate, listen, all those sins before, I haven't forgotten. This is what it takes to forgive them. Jesus, the Son of God, suffering and dying on the cross. This is my righteousness. And we, and we, because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We are justified by the work of Jesus on the cross. We are declared innocent. We are forgiven according to what He did on the cross. That's why when we take communion today and we think about the blood and the body and what He suffered, man, that's where my hope comes from. That's where it comes from. I don't pray to be saved. I don't come to church to be saved. I do those things because I already am. I want to do those things. That was one of the first things when I got saved that blew my mind is how my desires completely changed, which moves us into the regenerative part. Regeneration is the evidence that you have been justified. And this is where I, you know, I'll ask you, have you been? Or is it all you've done is maybe repeated a prayer, and I'm not against the prayer, the the prayer of salvation. Man, we do it all the time. But I don't put emphasis on that. That prayer cannot save you. There's no ritual that can save you. There's no work that can save you except the work of Jesus. And He commands all men and women to repent and believe in the Gospel, the good news. There's forgiveness of sins. Through what He has done. The moment someone's born again, the moment one is saved, your sins go to Him on the cross. And His righteousness, the righteousness of Christ is credited to your account. Have you never read that verse? I'm sure you have. But I'll read it. Just in case you've forgotten, I love this verse. 2 Corinthians 5. 21. 
He made Him who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, to be sin on our behalf. Oh my gosh. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Do you get the transfer here? How big that is, how powerful that is, that God has made it, has made salvation so big and so powerful that you can be forgiven and justified and clothed in the very rightness of Christ. The way He lived, how He completed the law. He, He totally obeyed the law. The Ten Commandments, He completely obeyed them out of, a, out of a right heart. His works were perfect. That is transferred to your account. And you're in a sense, when you're justified, on the justified side, you are in a sense perfect. That's how you get into heaven. You're imputed that. And the evidence that that has happened is you have been regenerated. Has your life changed? Or have you just become religious? Because what tends to happen after college, I know this, because you get out of college and you realize, man, I can't do that no more. <laughs> if I'm going to get a job and make money and get married, man, i gotta make, I got to change some things. And that's what I tried to do, but I couldn't ever change. That was the problem. I kept drinking. I kept going to the clubs. I kept getting into things I shouldn't get into. Why? Because I wanted to do those things. I love those things. I wanted to do those things. My nature was still that. Did I go to church every now and then? Oh, yeah, man, we had to go in baseball. We had like a mandatory service we had to go to every now and then. But the problem was when I sat down in that church service and looked around at the hundreds of, because it's a big old church right by the football stadium, right around the church like this, I see the same people that were in the bar with me the night before. So I'm thinking, well, if this is religion, I'm going to stay home and sleep. Because this ain't real. I was smart enough to realize that. But it never would fail. And I knew people that would drink to two or three in the morning, fornicate and get into everything. But man, they would get out of bed in the morning at the crack of dawn, buddy. Put on their suit and tie and be sitting there half hung over at church. Because they'd been trained that way. They're not born again. They're going to hell. Because they're not regenerated. They haven't been forgiven. They still have the same nature. Salvation is a change of nature. It's a change of lifestyle. Has your lifestyle changed? Because if it's not, we're not talking about your peace and well-being on this earth right now. If it's not, the wrath of God still abides on you because you haven't been forgiven. That's how important it is. Do you see where we're putting the emphasis? I don't want you to get Jesus to have a little more peace, to fix your finances, to fix your family. Can He do those things? Absolutely. But I'm not going to come at you that way. Man, if you ain't born again, you're going to hell. The wrath of God still abides on you. The Gospel should motivate us. Because if it's that big to where He can take a sinner, someone who loves to sin, and touch him in such a way because of the blood of Jesus. He takes out the old heart and puts a brand new heart in, and His very Spirit gets in your life, comes into your heart, 
in such a way that you no longer want to do those things like you did before? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Very clear what it says. That's one of my favorite verses. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. You can no longer live the same way. Am I saying you're perfect? No. But, when you're born again, your very essence changes. Your desires change. You want to be like Him. I'm justified. I'm born again. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. Yes. But now that motivates me to be like Him. I want to be like Him. And the power of sanctification is on your life. You want to be in His image. That's the battle you're going to be fighting. It's no longer for a position of, i got to go to church to be saved. No, I'm saved. And that is my fuel to pray. That is my fuel to witness to the lost. That is my fuel to raise my family. That's my fuel. I'm born again. It's awesome. Oh, what an awesome God. Have you been born again? And I hope everybody has. I don't know. He hasn't told me anything. I just don't know y'all very good. And if everybody is, preach a gospel of power. Not just, brother, I see you're sad. You need to come to church to be happy. Maybe you can start there. Nothing wrong with that. But be careful what you use as a draw card. Because when people come to Jesus like that, man, that is nine times out of ten, you're creating a false convert. Nine times out of ten. If somebody comes to Jesus out of wanting something, I I, I want this to change. I want you to fix this problem. So I'm going to pray this prayer and I'm going to start coming to church. That is a surefire way to create a false convert. And churches are full of them. Can God do it? Absolutely. I'm not going to put Him in any kind of box. He can use anything, anytime, anywhere. But I'm telling you, watch what you use for draw cards. The ultimate draw card to me is you're a sinner. You need forgiveness. You need to be reconciled to God because that is the problem. We're born enemies of God. But what a God. And it says in Psalm 7 that He has His his wrath pointed right at your head. The same God that has His wrath pointed at your head is reaching out with a hand of mercy. The same God. He is a God of love. But Psalm Psalm 7 says He hates the wicked. Every day. It's the same God. And He has offered us mercy and it is through His Son Jesus who has appeased the wrath of God. His body was broken on the cross and His sheer value gives us forgiveness this morning, y'all. We're going to take communion, I understand, here in just a minute. I want you to meditate on that. The price that was paid is, is incredible. How big that was. How big it is today. And I want you to meditate. Are you born again? Man, I, I, I was up in South Carolina just a few days ago. And a Vietnam vet in, in the back row is, is preaching just on the gospel. Just gospel, gospel. 
And uh, he starts telling me how he's been witnessing out on the street. And he, 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 he had heard, we, the way I guess, the way I was preaching it, because oftentimes when, a, when a, a preacher comes in, the pastor could be saying the same exact thing. But if somebody from the outside comes in and preaches the same exact, exact thing from a different angle, it's like all of a sudden they see it. And uh, he, he was one of those. He, he's like, man, what do I need to... Because he started going down methodology lane. Right? He wanted a different method to share the gospel. And he finally just... What, what is the gospel? He didn't know. Because I just spent an hour preaching on it, how it ain't about trying to persuade somebody to say a few words. Once I took that away, he didn't even know what it was. It's not a methodology. It's a miracle. Has this miracle happened in your life? And God can do this miracle on kind of what His Son did on the cross. Spilling His blood. His body being broken. Now we can be born again. He can justly look at you on count of what was paid. It was enough. He can now justly look at you and say, you're innocent. You're forgiven. Why? Because of Him. That's awesome. That's awesome. Often we, we think it's the amount of faith we have or something. And I heard an analogy about a bridge. I hope I get this right because it really affected me. What would you rather have? A person with all the courage in the world trying to cross one of these big, huge draw, you know, the drawbridges that, that span across a valley all made out of wood. Would you rather have somebody strong, courageous, trying to cross this bridge that had holes in it and was really weak and it could just snap any time because it's, it's made out of ropes? Would you rather have that situation? Or somebody that's scared out of their mind trying to cross a bridge that's sturdy, strong, new. And the analogy is, it, it's not your faith. It's the gospel you believe. Our gospel is strong. Our gospel is power. And the evidence that you have truly received the good news that you truly are reconciled to God. Has your lifestyle changed? Can you tell me, Brother Brandon, this day right here, maybe not the exact day and time, but more or less, this is when God came into my life and this is when everything changed. This is when my friends changed. This is when my interests changed. This is when everything changed in my life. Can you tell me that? Or are you going to tell me, well, this is when I started going to church? Man, that ain't it. That's part of it. You should want to be around other born-again believers. That's an evidence. But has God changed your interests? Or are you still interested in the world? That's one of the first things I, I realized when I got saved. Was all of a sudden I was interested in the Bible. I had to read it. I wanted to read it. Didn't know where. I just opened it up and started reading. I didn't care. It didn't matter. Another thing was my interest in the world. I no longer wanted to go drink. Dude, I'm a student at the University of Alabama. I no longer wanted to go drink. What in the world? And I still had roommates, baseball players, who wanted to go out and drink every weekend. And, even, and I remember coming back after I, I was in my car and I cried out to God, God, if you're real, change me. Because I tried to change. Because I knew I was about to graduate. I had to straighten up. If I was going to have a good life, I tried. I wasn't even thinking about God. Could not change. 
scared me because I realized I wasn't one in control. And I cried out, God, if you're real, change me. I understand I have sinned. I understood repentance. So I, I, it was probably a sorry, weak form of repentance, but I repented nonetheless. Woke up the next day with an interest in the Bible. No longer wanted to go and do those things no more. It was simple. It was just, I don't want to do it no more. And I always use my son there, who uh, does not like mashed potatoes, as a, an example. There's no chance that that boy is going to practice eating mashed potatoes. No chance whatsoever. Why? He don't like it. Neither is there a chance that a born-again, truly born-again Christian is going to practice sin. No way. 1 John 3 says it ain't going to happen. You keep, Why? Because God's controlling you like a puppet? No. Your interests have changed. You no longer want to do it. Will you slip up? Maybe every now and then you'll fall or whatever. But your reaction is now different. Your relationship with sin has changed. Your relationship with the Bible has changed. Your relationship with the world has changed. And where before you was looking for ways to sin and leave the road as long as you got back on Sunday, now when you fall, there's conviction. You have a father. There's discipline. And you'll get up and you'll get back on the road and you'll go. It's, it's, you're being sanctified. It's, it is a battle. But in a sense, you're doing it. Please get this. You're doing all of that. The day-to-day fighting and, 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 and trying to get... You're doing it from a platform of justification. You're justified. Huh? You're born again. You're forgiven. My faith, my, my, the, the power that I have to live day by day comes from what He did. What we're about to do right now, the communion, that is what that's all about. What He did justified. That's where it comes from. And it motivates you. It motivates you to live holy. It motivates you to read the Bible, to go to church, to to, to want to be more holy constantly. Because you look at the cross, you look at the Gospel, and you say in the words of Paul in Romans 6, how could I go on sinning? How in the world could I go on sinning after what He did? How could I? Have you been born again this morning? Or have you just modified a little behavior? Got a little bit more better morals? It's not about morals. Even though it will produce that, your morals cannot save you. Your works cannot save you. Only the perfect righteousness of Christ, which you get when you're truly born again, evidenced by regeneration. Good, I'm not as good a teacher as him, but I'm trying. (laughs) Please, meditate on these things. And and that's that's your fuel. That's your fuel to live day by day, making decisions, going out, witnessing, uh, growing this church. Has to be gospel-centered, y'all. And think about that when we're we're about to uh, take the communion. How big a price that was. Who He is. He is God. And it took God to save us. It's amazing. Every other religion in the world is, you do this, do this, do this, and maybe you're saved in the end. Christianity is, no matter what you do, you ain't saving yourself. But God came down. And he that's the difference. You're saved by grace and mercy. Evidenced by a regenerated life. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor.
That is it. Thank you all. Amen.